0: Um, but I will send out an army. I'm kind of all over the place to start this, but uh, like that army, like God wanted it to be the church. Like that that was God's desire when he when He set himself up as a people, uh, us being the church, was that we would go into all of the world and, and make disciples of, of every nation. Like that was his call in the church, to be that army, to go out and find those who feel uh, invisible, who feel like they've been forgotten, who feel like they're hopeless or defenseless, it was the church's responsibility to go into all of the world and, and find them. Uh, we are in week four of this series called The Invisible War. And we looked at marriage, and we looked at women and men. Like, it's been a great series. There have been some times up here that i felt pretty awkward. Uh, there has been some times that my wife has felt pretty awkward uh, sitting down there. It's been fun to watch her uh, throughout this. But I promised her this week that there will not be any, any awkwardness. Because uh, we're talking about my, my favorite subject today. Uh, which is the church. And I want to start with a question, though, and it's for couples. Maybe you're married, maybe you're, you're dating, whatever. Like, if, how many of you have ever had an argument and the argument was like 100% your fault, like you knew it was your fault? Some of you, not very many of you are raising your hand. All right, so the so next question, how many of you have ever had an argument that was 100% the other person's fault? I see more of you, like, and faster, like, whew, yes. Like, I, I can, like I, I did some research a long time ago when I was doing some some planning for some premarital counseling stuff, and the two major arguments that couples have are sex and money. Uh, we're not going to talk about sex. We've done that for three weeks. I'm just going to leave that one. But But with money, like, there's always a saver and there's always a spender. And when the spender gets on Amazon, watch out. Like, it goes crazy. So those are, are like, the two major arguments, but... But how many, like we have silly arguments, like one that Jennifer and I have, like their clothes on the floor or in the hamper. Listen, if they're on the floor more than two days, like they're dirty, like they don't need to be in the hamper. Like that's, I don't get it. And you have those things. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the garbage and you've got the person that will not take out the garbage, but they just keep pushing it down further, like you put your foot in it to get it down so you can get one more thing in there so you don't have to take it out. Kyle loves that, I'm Sure. But, but here's the thing, it's not what we fight about. Because listen, you're gonna fight. It is, it's how you fight. And, and I want you to fight for each other, not with each other. Like if, you, if you're a couple, I'm telling you that you have a lifetime of fighting. But what I hope is that you're fighting the enemy together. Like listen, because he's going to spend uh, his time fighting you to keep you from coming to this place. Like I'm telling you, the enemy does not want you to be involved or engaged in the local church. He doesn't. Because if you're in the church, listen, it's more likely that your marriage is going to succeed. And it's not a guarantee, but statistics say it's more likely that it's going to succeed. If you're dating someone or you met someone in church, you have a better chance. And like there's all kinds of statistics. And I'm not gonna quote those, but I'm gonna tell you that the enemy is going to do whatever it takes to keep you out of this place out of the church, and this is not just uh, about KCC, because some of you, you're watching online, you're from places you couldn't come to KCC if you wanted to, but the enemy's still gonna fight you to keep you from being engaged and involved in the local church. And listen, and when you do get here, it doesn't stop. He just doesn't want you to focus. He wants things like the screens to go crazy on you. So today, we're we're gonna look at three things that I think we all need to receive or need to happen in this place, in the local church. And I'm not only going to talk about these things, but I'm going to talk about how does the enemy try to prevent these things from happening, and why the enemy doesn't want us to receive these things. Because even when we get here, it's going to be a fight. Some of you know what that's like. Even this morning, just getting here was a fight. You're not even sure your kids got clothes on, and they're here running around somewhere. But the reason the enemy doesn't want us here, listen, the Hebrew writer would talk about it, and he says this, and I wanna set this up for us, because I know sometimes it's tough to come to church. It's tough to be here. But the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to a group of people that if they're caught in church, they're going to be killed. And we think it's tough. He says this, though. He said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You ever need motivated? Yeah, I I want this place to be a place where you're motivated every week. Yes, I want it to be fun. I think church should be the funnest place on the planet. Like, we're saved. I want you to laugh. I want want you to laugh at me, uh, because I'm up here being awkward, talking about things that you didn't think preachers should talk about. But more than that, I want you to leave filled with hope and motivated every week. I had a man tell me just last week, an older man, tell me just last week, he said, man, I just feel better after being here every week. Good, like, that's what I want. I want you to be motivated. The Hebrew writer goes on to say, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Like, I need that. I love to be encouraged. It says, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And that's the first thing I think the enemy wants to take away from us that we need is encouragement. Yeah, I remember when when things got uh, really bad at a church I was serving in, and I was ready to give up on ministry. like I was ready to just throw in the towel, like I'm done. Um, I couldn't think of anything else to do, so I applied for the job here. Um, but like that's different. <laughs> but, but, but I think that there's two questions that all of us face whenever things start going bad, whenever there's a tragedy in our life. And the first one is this, what am, what am I gonna do about Jesus? I guess it's question we all have to answer. What, what am I gonna do about Jesus? Now, I'd spent my entire life to that point Pointing people to Jesus, saying Jesus is is the hope that we have. He's the only way to heaven. I mean, so honestly, when, when that question popped up, I like I thought about it and wrestled with it for maybe five seconds, because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Like I believe that He's the only way to heaven. I, I I believe that He's the hope of the world. So so about five seconds, I wrestled with that. Like turning my back on Jesus was never a consideration. The second question though was, what am I going to do about the church? What am I going to do about the church? See, not only do you have to decide what you're going to do about Jesus, you have to decide what you're going to do about the church. And, and the church for me was a different story. Because I would preached for years at this point. a Years that the church is the bride of Christ, That the church is is a light in in the community. That the church's responsibility is to go and be that army to rescue people. That the church is to be a place of encouragement and hope and joy and peace. That the church is is a hospital for sinners and, and not a museum for the saints. Like, I preached all that. But when you experience church hurt, like when you experience tragedy, you not only consider giving up on Jesus, but you consider giving up on the church. Because church hurt can be some of the worst hurt. And I considered giving up on the church. But I remember there was actually about a month long period when when I didn't have a job, and we were living in Cincinnati. It was before I was coming here. Like, and I remember that first week. I thought, man, this is going to be so good. For the first time in my life, I don't have to go to church. And then I had a friend call me, and he invited me to church. And I was always that guy, hey, you need to invite people to church. You need to bring people to church. And he just kept hounding me. And I'm like, no, I don't think I'm going to go this week. And he kept hounding me. Come on, man, you don't get this opportunity very often. Come hear me preach. Come. And, and I went to church. And you know what happened? Like I felt loved. Like, but, but I was hurt. Like, Again, some of that hurt was my fault. Some of that, that hurt wasn't my fault. I even remember about the first six to eight weeks here, like, I wasn't all in. I was preaching sermons that I'd already preached. Um, I was hanging out with people, and then it hit me. I need the church, that the church really is the the hope of the world. Through people and through the power of the Holy Spirit, like I was encouraged from the church. And I said what so many people have said. I didn't want to go, but I'm so glad I went. Have you ever said that? Like, I know you have, but we receive encouragement from God and from, from other people. But here's what happens, is once you're in this place, the enemy is going to do a couple of things because he doesn't want you here. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to put a seed of doubt in your mind. And this may take a week or two, but I promise it's going to happen. Like you're going to find somebody in the room that you don't like. Now look straight ahead. Don't look around you because they, they're going to be sitting there. But you walk in the doors of this church, listen, you're gonna find some shady people in here. Like you are. You're gonna find a person or a group of people that, that you don't necessarily like. You're gonna be, man, I don't know about that Kyle guy. Like, I don't know. Do you know that the seed of doubt most of the time is not Jesus, that, that it's the enemy? That person looked at me funny. and like, And you think I'm making this up? But I've had people that have that have been bought in, like they have they, loved the church and they quit coming to church because someone looked at them wrong. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I get that look every week here on the stage. Like someone's giving me stink eye right now. Like I'm just like, hey, I'm glad you're here. Like they feel like I don't like you. Take a number. Like there, there's plenty. Like the, but the enemy, listen, he's going to make sure that you see someone or you have an experience. Like you may walk right by someone and you're like, they saw me and they didn't even say hi to me. You know what? Maybe their mom died this week or their or their grandmother's in the hospital. Maybe, maybe it's not about you at all. And you need to extend that same grace that you want from other people because there's always gonna be seeds of doubt. And after the seeds of doubt, then you're going to experience sayings of doubt, like uh, a true or false question. Is a bad thought a sin, true or false? False. A bad thought is not a, a sin. James lines out the whole uh, progression of sin in his book. But it's, it's not what you think, it's really it's what you do. Like, I want to punch him. Like, that's not a sin. Punching him is, in most cases. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it might not be. But once you get a seed of doubt, the enemy then will make sure that you meet somebody else that has that same seed of doubt, and then there's other people in the group. And then what'll happen is you'll gossip, and gossip feels good. Listen, it does. If I can talk about somebody else's problems, then I don't have to deal with my own. Like when we have a choice when it comes to talking about people, we can be self-aware or we can be self-righteous. Self-righteous people are never self aware, and self-aware people are never self-righteous. And the reason I choose to be self-aware is because I realize that if it wasn't for the grace of God, that I may be the most messed up person on this planet. Like I am capable of so much evil, if not for the grace of God. Now, this is how I know someone's about to gossip, though. They start the sentence this way Well, I know I'm not perfect. We all do. Like you don't have to tell me that. Like nobody said that. I'd be like, oh, I, well, I know I'm not perfect. And I'd be like, oh, you're right, really. Thank you for letting, because I thought you were. Like, no. But like, you have seeds of doubt, and you have sayings of doubt, and this happens no matter what church you go to, like anywhere in the world. Doesn't matter what language you speak, even. Like, but there are going to be people in this church that you don't like. And you're gonna find other people that you know that don't like those people as well. But here's what I would encourage you is don't don't give in to the stubbornness of doubt. There's uh, seeds of doubt, there's sayings of doubt. Don't give in to the stubbornness of doubt where you say, I'm I'm done because of that person. You may not like them, you may never like them. And and here's all I'm I'm gonna ask is that you'd be open to hearing the words of Jesus on this. And I'm just gonna read the words of Jesus. He says this. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. It leads me to point number two is surrender. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. Like, talk about sibling rivalry. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus being your brother? Oh, hey, James, we, we invited Jesus to a wedding and he turned water into wine. What do you got? And by the way, James didn't at first believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe who he said he was. But eventually, James called him Lord. And I've asked this question before, well, what would it take for you to call your brother Lord? Maybe a resurrection? You know, James said this, He said, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't just listen to it. Yeah, it's great. You read it every day, or you listen to it on the Bible app, but you have to do what it says. I know a whole lot about uh, physical fitness and exercise and diet, but I don't do any of it. So it doesn't make a difference it's the same with the Bible. You can know a whole lot about the Bible. You can, you can quote it uh, inside and out. But if you're not doing what it says, it's not gonna, it's gonna make a difference. And what the Bible says is surrender. And let me tell you three most difficult areas to surrender to Jesus. First is your money. Money. Doesn't it make you completely uncomfortable when a pastor talks about money? It doesn't, I'm okay with that. But this is the last area of my life, honestly, that I surrendered to Jesus, He had all of me for years except my wallet. Like I could sing, I surrender all, hold my wallet back here. And then I just decided one day, you know what, if I'm going to believe all of the verses that the Bible talks about heaven, then I'm going to have to believe all the verses that the Bible talks about money. So I just said, hey, I'm going to start giving them the first 10% and tithes and offerings above that. And I'll just tell you, I've never gone without since I made that decision. I've never been in a place of, of, of great need since I made that decision. So if you're wrestling with that part of your life, I get it. Like I gave my life to Christ in 1986. He got my finances in, somewhere in 2000, 2001. The second area is relationships. If you're in a relationship, if, if, you're, if you're married, like it's tough to admit that you have a problem. If you're single, listen, let, let me tell you, the enemy will make sure that a nice person comes into your life that isn't committed to Christ or the church, They'll be nice. I've talked to to guys, usually high school guys, and they're like, "Man, that that girl's hot. Like she's hot." I'm like, "Was she a Christian? No, but she's hot." I'm like, "So is hell. That's no reason to go somewhere." Like, (laughs) but it's difficult to surrender our relationships to Jesus. Like married or single, it's difficult. And the third thing is life. Like it's difficult to surrender our lives to Christ. Like it really is. like there are people that come here week after week, or you listen online, and you know that you need to take that next step of baptism, but surrender is tough. And here's the thing. Maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's your life. You know what you need to surrender. But let me show you how the enemy works. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, for, for hundreds of years, like they were slaves. And I've never met anyone that that's their desire. When I grow up, I want to be a slave. But they were slaves. And God starts the process of, of freeing them from slavery. It's, it's an amazing story. It's in the book of Exodus. Um, and, and by the way, just if, if you're a slave to something, a habit or addiction, like God can deliver you now, but, but oftentimes, even throughout the scripture, he uses a process. And that's what he does here. He's using a, a process but God begins to work and he begins to send these plagues on the Egyptians. And one of the plagues was a plague of frogs. And I hate frogs, they gross me out. Like, not as bad as snakes, but, but frogs gross me out too. In fact, when I get a, a, a little frog in my little fountain thing outside, like, I call Ken Milano to come get it because I ain't touching that nasty thing. Like, they're, they're gross to me. Like, and the frogs, like, they were bad. The Bible says that the frogs were, were everywhere. They were in their beds, they were in their pots, they were in their pans, they were in their cups, like, they, they were everywhere. Like, that's nasty to me. And watch what happens. Pharaoh calls Moses in and says, man, you need to get rid of the frogs. Like, like, get rid of them. And Moses says this to him in Exodus 8, 9, and 10. He said, you set the time, Moses replied. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials, and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They will remain only in the Nile River. Now, me, in that moment, I set the time. Like, I want them gone Now. Like, let's pray, let's pray right now. Get rid of these things. But Pharaoh does something that, that the enemy leads us all to do when it comes to an important decision for Christ. He says, do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah I, I know. This is what Satan does. He says, I, I know you're gonna give your life to Christ. Just wait a little bit longer. You're not ready yet. You need to talk to some people. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna give your money to Christ? That's great. Just wait a bit. Not today. You have you have some bills. Oh, that relationship? Oh, come, it can wait. You you have plans. Do it tomorrow. Let's circle back to something James, the half brother of Jesus, said about tomorrow. He said this in James four. He said, "Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year, we'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow?" Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. Don't miss that. James says, hey, your, your life is, is here in the morning, and it's gone in the morning. So if you know there's a decision that you need to make for Christ, don't give in to the enemy and wait till tomorrow. Do what Christ has called you to do today, which leads me to the third thing is worship. And this is where some people are gonna get mad. Well, uh, somebody's probably already mad. Uh, it's church. Like, I could stand at the door and hand out $100 bills and somebody would be mad. You know how hard it is to break one of those? Like, like, like If you've been to church for a while, like you know I'm telling the truth. But for a minute, though, I'm, I'm not going to talk to the people in the room. I'm just going to address some people online for, for a minute. And, and online, I'm not talking to you, those of you who are watching from... Uh, Florida, or Ohio, or Costa Rica, or Russia, or Ukraine, or, or anywhere. Like I, I'm talking to the people online who are watching from within about a 30-minute drive from here. I, I get it. You like to watch church online. I do it too. I watch I watch probably five services every week. I listen to podcasts, so, so I'm there. But let, let me just put it like this way. How many of you would like a, a Krispy Kreme donut right now? I know we have some Walmart donuts out there and they're pretty good, but there's nothing like a Krispy Kreme donut. Like, like look at those. Like, those, those are like, and someone's going, like, what does that have to do with Jesus? Like, I can make anything about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the, the bread of life. Donuts are made out of bread, therefore, they remind me of Jesus. <laughs> like, that donut right there, like, that has been immersed in sugar. As Christians, we're called to be immersed in, in baptism. Like, I can make a sermon about Krispy Kreme donuts. Like they got a Reese's donut. They got a a Butterfinger donut. Like that, that one makes me want to talk in tongues right there. Like, <laughs> I, but th- does anybody feel full? No, you don't feel full because I showed you a picture of a donut from a website. You all know that if you want to feel full, you can't just look at the picture. You've got to get the donut. And it's kind of like that with, kind of like the Netflix fire. Like, you can see the beauty on your screen, but you can't feel the warmth because it's not real. And all I'm saying is the people online every week that say, my worship is personal between me and Jesus. I get that. Worshiping Jesus is, is sometimes by yourself is, is very meaningful. Like for me, worshiping in the shower and just singing or in my car, like sometimes I sing loud. But listen, when we get to heaven, worship isn't going to be about you in your little corner and have your little time with Jesus. Worship is going in heaven is going to be people gathered from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every language. It's going to be massive and it's going to be loud, and we're going to be singing the Jesus at the top of our lungs. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. But the enemy wants to keep us from a place where we gather together and worship. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but there have been Sundays that, that I've needed this place. Like during, during COVID, like being shut down for 19 weeks, like we understood that we, we need this place. Like even on the days that we, we don't wanna go, we need this place. You know, there was a king in the Old Testament named Jehoshaphat. If you're looking for baby names, I guarantee that one's not gonna be taken. <laughs> but Jehoshaphat's doing a great job as king. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And somebody comes in to him and says, hey, we, we've got a problem. Like there, and he's like, what's the problem? Like there are three armies right now and they are coming together and they're going to meet up and they're coming this way to destroy us. And when an army invaded, like they came in to kill everyone. And the people said something that, that maybe you've said in the last week or month or year. In 2 Chronicles twenty twelve. This, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do. You ever thought that? I don't know what to do. But we're looking to you for help. Sometimes in life, you can't plan for what you get. Like, I had a great five year plan for the church in 2019, I didn't plan a global pandemic. You can't plan for crazy. You can't plan for for, for that diagnosis. You didn't plan on on the miscarriage. You didn't plan on on the divorce. And we get to this place where we're like, we don't know what to do. Being a pastor and talking to people through their most difficult moments in life, I have people ask me all the time, why? Why did this happen? Why, Why is this happening? And all I can say is I don't know. I don't. We don't know, but this'll be a place where we say, hey, we don't know what to do, but God, we're looking for your help. God, we're looking for you to step in and do something great. So then they come up with a, with a battle plan, Jehoshaphat and his men do, and I'm not a military strategist. I, in fact, I'm terrible at military-type games. It's not for me, but having said that, I don't think this is the best military, military strategy they could have come up with. Look at this in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, 21. It said, after consulting the king, the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> now, I pick on Kyle a lot. But Kyle is honestly, he's really rare in the worship world. Like, because, <laughs> because he's a man. Like, he, he is a lineman. He, like, he's, he's fit, he's strong. But have you seen most worship leaders Like I'm just saying, I mean, do you think they strike fear to the enemy? Like I'm thinking more like Caleb back here. Like, and I told him I was going to pick on him this morning. But here, like, here comes the skinny G and scarf wearing people. Like I I don't know what like you're going to do with them. Like I don't want the singers to walk ahead of me. Like I want the guys with spears and swords and arrows to be walking ahead of me, not the singers. It says, after consulting the people, the king appointed the singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Why? They haven't won anything. Why are they praising him? Why why are they worshiping him? They they haven't won. In fact, the odds are stacked against them. But don't miss this. Anybody can worship after the battle's won. Worship is when I don't know if I'm going to, to die of this cancer or get healed from this cancer. But I do know that I'm going to worship God all the way through. Worship is my life may not be where I want it to be. It may not be in the situation that I want to be in. But right now I'm going to praise God anyway. So this is what they sang Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for what? He hasn't done anything. Well, we're being marched out here with skinny jean scarf people and we're about to get killed. Give thanks to the Lord. It says that's that's all they sang over and over again. That, that one line, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. And I love when people complain about a, a worship song. Like you sing the same line over and over again, 7-11, 7 words you sing it eleven times. And I just say, man, you're gonna hate heaven. Like we're going to be singing "Holy, Holy, Holy" is the one who was and is and is to come. Like we're going to sing that over and over again, and nobody is going to be going, "Man, I can't wait till this one's over." Like they're singing and they're praising God, and watch what happens. This is crazy to me. This is why I think worship matters so much. Says that that very moment they began to sing. Let me ask you a question: Do you think it was difficult to sing when they were facing an army that was three times their size? Like they knew they couldn't match up in a fight. It was difficult because they hadn't read the book of Second Chronicles yet. Hadn't been written. Says so that the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused. Like can you imagine that guy just sitting there just holding, holding his armies back for a second? And then the Lord caused it. So the Lord caused the armies of Imam, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. Like they started fighting each other and the Lord caused it because he has power over everyone and everything. And then the Bible says the armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the armies of Seir, they began attacking each other. Like, that's crazy. And the Israelites are just over here singing. And while they're singing, God is fighting. He's fighting in a supernatural way. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Because they worshiped, God took their problem out. King Jehoshaphat and his men said, went out to gather the plunder. Don't miss this, the enemy was coming to plunder them. But they wound up plundering the enemy. So they found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and valuables, more than they could carry, There was so much plunder, it took them three days just to collect it all. By the way, God does some amazing thing in three days. They walked into the enemy camp and they took everything that the enemy was planning to take from them. Listen, with worship, we can walk into the enemy's camp and say, hey, I'm sorry, but you're not gonna take my joy. You're not gonna take my peace. You're not gonna take my hope. You're not gonna take my family. You're not gonna take this relationship. You're not taking this away from me because God is greater and I don't care how long it takes, I'm gonna worship him and wait until he tells me what to do next. Like there are some people in this room watching online that, that it's the decision to worship even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't know what's gonna happen that's going to make the difference in your life. Encouragement, Surrender and worship. What's your next step? Listen, if you're willing to surrender, listen, God is going to do incredibly more than you could ever ask or imagine. He is, and you're gonna look back on your life one day and there's gonna come a tragedy in your life and you're gonna, have to, you're gonna be faced with those two questions. What do I do about Jesus? And what do I do about the church? And you're gonna come back to this idea that it's, it's too good to not believe. Like, I've seen God do so many great things. I've seen so many people be encouraged and lifted up through the church that it's too good to not believe that God has something better for me. And today is the day that we need to worship no matter what's going on. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'm gonna pray. If you need to make a decision, uh, we'll be down front. But man, just whatever's going on today, worship, Father God, we come to you thanking you for the church. Thanking you for the encouragement that that we receive week in and week out. Father, I pray, I I, I know the enemy's here. Like I know he's planting those seeds of doubt and those sayings of doubt. And and I know he's here here working. He's doing all those things because he wants nothing more than for us to be gone from this place. Father, today I pray that even in the midst of all those things, That we will see how good you've been. And that we won't give in to the stubbornness of doubt. But we would willingly surrender what area of our life that you're calling us to surrender today. And that no matter what's going on, God, that we would worship you above everything else. Because we know that in Christ, we have the victory. In his name that I pray.